Welcome to Work is Good, a CSM podcast. My name is Landon Buto, and I host the show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. Today's episode is your housing market update and quick mortgage question for the week. And just a quick note on these episodes on the housing market updates. Uh, these episodes typically air about four or five days after we record them. That's just the way uh, it fits into our schedule and our routine. And so we're typically not trying to provide super minute-by-minute news on interest rates and exactly what's going on with those, but just a general sense so you can track what's going on in the housing market as a whole. So I hope that's helpful and hope you can enjoy this episode. All right, Dad, we're going to get rolling with our housing market update for the week. Yeah, so a couple of different things. Um, You know, first of all, I think Friday we got a reminder of how fragile the bond market is. Um, Right now we've had, you know, several months of successive you know, relatively encouraging inflation numbers, and that had you know prompted the Fed to to decelerate the rate of increases. They hadn't stopped increasing the, the federal funds rate, right. which inf- influences mortgage rates. But they had decelerated that. They were they had increased it by less and started to signal maybe they might you know kind of you know get get to the point of zero yeah. later in the year. And then we got a jobs report on Friday that really took the market by surprise. A lot more jobs got created in the economy. That comes out every month, first Friday of every month. It's called the non-farm payroll or the jobs report. And, um, you know, I've been in the industry for a long time. I remember the very first time I went through kind of one of those whipsaw markets. It was because of a jobs report, even way back, you know, 26 years ago. That it just has a lot of potential to influence mortgage interest rates because mortgage rates are afraid of inflation. And when the jobs report comes in showing a very heated job market, that suggests that there might be more inflation down the pipe. So anyway, that uh, really kind of spiked interest rates between Friday of last week and you know now here we are on, thir- on Wednesday. Um, so I I would just say that um, you know rates right now are still a lot lower than they were six months ago, yeah. and I think we're still in that general flow of most of the information has been suggesting we're starting to get ahead of that inflation problem. And so I, I think that subsequent reports will need to bear that out, uh, but be cautious, you know, I would say. And, and we're still in the high fives, you know, right now I'm still seeing stuff in the high fives APR for, um, you know, for first-time home buyers. And, and so it's not horrible. It's just, you know, it, it, it maybe didn't keep going in the direction we hoped it would. Right. You know, on the housing side, um, it's really busy, you know, surprising. Um, it, it, and, and not too surprising in some ways because here we are, you know, we're coming up on the spring and, um, and, and there have been a lot of latent demand. You know, a lot of people kind of hit the sidelines when interest rates spiked up. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're seeing those people kind of start to come back in. They're seeing rates come down a little bit and, uh, we're seeing sellers come out where, where there's more inventory, more opportunities for buyers. And we're seeing buyers come out. You know, there's people to buy. And so, it is, um, you know, it's it's no longer all one way or all the other. So whereas, yeah. you know, it used to be just, you know, if you're a buyer, good luck. You know, you're going to have 10 right. offers to compete with. Now there's property sitting because they're overpriced. And that's an opportunity for buyers to come out and negotiate. But there's also buyers, there's also properties this past weekend, you know, several that went multiple offers, you know. And so what I think we're seeing is a good opportunity for both right now, both yeah. buyers and sellers. You know, we'll see kind of where this equilibrium plays out down the road as we get deeper into the spring and maybe into the summer where the real action starts to happen. Um, but right now, I think if you're a buyer or a seller, you know, there's, there's opportunity out there right now. Yeah. Yeah, I hear, uh, I listen to Housing Wire a decent amount, Logan, oh, yeah. Motor Xiaomi there. And 
I hear him always talking about how the typical typical seller is also a, a buyer. Yeah. Um, right. And so it's not like you know, the, w- once you start seeing that there's not much reason to, there, you don't think it's a good time to buy, then you're also going to have less people selling because they they know they're going to have to buy if they right. sell. Right. Um, so if it's a good time to buy, you're going to start to get a little bit better. More, more listings and, and more opportunities. It seems like yeah. So, no, totally. it seems like we've seen that played out. So that's good. Um, great. Well, I'll shift to mortgage question of the week. Which um, this week I'm going to ask. I don't know how often you encounter this, but I uh, saw it in a YouTube comment thread recently. Um, so it made me curious. Which I think I know the general answer, but uh, what? Uh, how does um, alimony fit into qualifying? Can you count it just like normal income? Does it only sometimes qualify? Um, Great question. Does that qualify? Um, so, so first of all, I'm just going to say whether you're, you know, if you're in the midst of getting divorced, you know, the, the divorce has a high correlation with property transitions, right, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, people get divorced. And one household becomes two households, and, and maybe that means buying two new homes. Maybe that's hmm. refinancing the existing home. And so there is very high percentage of the time there's some form of property transition going on after divorce. And I highly, highly recommend that anybody that is in that situation get, get pre-qualified before that plays itself all the way out legally, where you've got all the final agreements with your spouse or ex-spouse-to-be, because I have found so many times where people's expectations were so far off because they didn't understand how alimony is under it. And that's both from the payer side Mm -hmm. and the receiver side. Both of those things aren't necessarily going to be intuitive in terms of how they're treated. So, you know, to answer that direct question, if you are the recipient of alimony, most programs require two things. You you have to have received it for six months, and it has to have three years continuance. Okay? Mm. So, but, you know, so if you have to have received it for six months before it counts, and you need three years continuance for it to also count, then that means you need at least 42 months in total. And, and, if, right. and if all you have is 42 months, then you have to go out and get underwritten. Right. Right at that six month mm-hmm. point, you know, if you're anywhere into it, let's say you're, you know, you're eight months into your 42 months. By the time you go and apply for the loan, you don't have 36 months left. Yeah. You know, on that, so it's really important that when you're negotiating those things, you do understand that that income needs to have a duration of of a certain amount of time. And a lot of times, those things are pretty flexible. And you know, obviously, you know, divorce is touchy, and 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 you know, you can have more or less cooperative parties in those situations. But a lot of times the terms are fairly malleable in terms of, hey, this is the end we want to get to. If we need to restructure it this way in order for it to work out so both parties get the real estate they want. The dif- difficulty can be from the payer side is, is you know, that's that can be treated as a liability. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that, you know, so, so you know, there, there's ways to get around that. But, but yeah. I would say that's important. And then the other thing that's super important on divorce is you know, if you miss one payment, if uh, one one receipt, one deposit of alimony income, that can scuttle the whole thing. Hmm. You know, because an underwriter is going to look at that and go, "Oh, okay, they're supposed to pay you five thousand dollars a month, 
and I see you got five and five, and then they skipped March, and then here they start again in April. You know, we can't rely on this. It's, yeah. it's variable income now, and we don't have a history. You know, and so be very, very careful. Be very fastidious about that. You know that because if you if you end up if it's spotty in any way, you know, then that can become a real problem. You yeah, know, that 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 can become a real problem from an underwriting standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So it it can qualify like perfectly well. Yes. But, yes. But there's a lot of requirements to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. You bet. Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it, leave a review, and listen next week.